Special counsel Jack Smith compelled Donald Trump's co-conspirator Tom Fitton to testify before the federal criminal grand jury in Washington this week, uh, investigating Donald Trump's crimes. Fitton, who is a wannabe lawyer who runs a group called Judicial Watch, consulted with Donald Trump on the plan to declare victory even before the election took place, uh, knowing that Donald Trump was going to lose. And Fitton also consulted with Donald Trump about stealing the thousands of government records, including the top secret sensitive compartmented records. You know, when Donald Trump says socks case, socks case, and has no clue what he's talking about, that's all coming from Fitton. So we'll break down the important implications of Fitton's testimony before the criminal grand jury in Washington, D.C. And an emergency hearing was held in Manhattan State Court before Judge Arthur and Goron in New York in the New York Attorney General's fraud lawsuit against Donald Trump and his adult children, where New York Attorney General Letitia James is seeking at least 200 and $50 million in damages and also an injunction that would basically shut down the Trump organization from doing business in the state of New York. The emergency hearing focused on the fact that Donald Trump and his adult children filed these frivolous documents and is specifically called a verified answer. It was a frivolous verified answer to the complaint that they filed, which was an obvious delay tactic. But Judge Arthur and Goron said, if you think you are delaying this trial, uh-uh, not going to happen. And Donald Trump's lawyer sheepishly said, well, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're going to go back and we're going to fix these documents. And you know who was not present at that emergency hearing? Who, Ben? Alina Haba is the answer. Alina Haba was not at the hearing. It's, uh, I, I used to be in the Guys and Dolls play in middle school, and it was, you know, who's coming to town? Uh, <laughs> Sky Masterson, Sky Masterson in town. That was my one line as Angie the Ox uh, when I was in the broad, when I was in my middle school play. But I digress here. So who was not present at the hearing? It was Alina Haba, who seems to have been sidelined or removed from the Trump legal team as she tries to cling on to the fame that she do she so desperately craves. And in the E. Jean Carroll federal lawsuit, Carroll's lawyer, Roberta Kaplan, filed a letter brief with the court stating that Haba had told her that she was withdrawing from the case. But then Haba filed the document saying, no, 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 I didn't say that. Look, I don't believe anything Hoppe says at all. But regardless, Trump has brought in a new lawyer into the E. Jean Carroll civil rape case and defamation case as that heads to trial in April. The new lawyer is Joe Takapina, who has taken many adverse positions against Trump before, both in sentencing for January 6th insurrectionist Popox done a hot hit on that, um, as well as taking positions against Trump in this specific case regarding whether or not Donald Trump would have had immunity uh, for his conduct while he was in office. You're going to love Popak's breakdown there. And Popak, I like how I call it a hot breakdown, a hot hit. That's like, <laughs> you know, um, uh, that's registered trademark. 
<laughs> and the Manhattan District Attorney has impaneled a criminal grand jury to present evidence about Donald Trump's criminal tax fraud and specifically zeroing in on the hush money payments to Stormy Daniels after Donald Trump had sex with her, leading to the 2016 election to try to cover it up and how Donald Trump misclassified those payments as legal fees. Indictments are likely to be coming soon in Manhattan against Donald Trump. We will uh, break that down. Uh, and speaking of indictments that will be dropping soon, we are on indictment watch here on Legal AF and at the Midas Touch Network for George Santos as well, the MAGA Republican George Santos, if that's even his name, who's now saying that he was a producer of Spider-Man. I mean, he just, just some of the strangest stuff, but also the most criminal stuff. The FBI has opened up even more investigations, and the most recent investigations focus on Santos setting up GoFundMe accounts so he could steal money from disabled homeless veterans who Santos falsely represented he was raising money to help save the lives of their pets. You don't get much lower than that, but you don't get much more information than you get here on Legal AF. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by Michael Popak. Popak, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, when you brought up the Tom Fitton thing, we'll get to in a bit. It reminds me, you know, it's good to have working attorneys and trial lawyers commenting about legal matters. You know, it's sort of like the, we're the judicial watch, watch. Um, he's made a career out of following the law, but really not understanding it. But people, I think, come to the show because they know that you and I break it down. And we have our own opinions that are formed from years of practice and experience in the very courtrooms that we're talking about every day. You know, Popak, you think about 1984, Orwell, where, you know, Freedom is slavery, you know, and you go there for MAGA extremists. It's like law. Who better encapsulate than their version of law than someone who's not a lawyer, who's wrong about everything and who calls the group Judicial Watch uh, with no legal experience and just spews the exact opposite of what our Constitution stands for? what the exact opposite of what our laws are supposed to do. But Fitton, who wears these very tight shirts and makes these very strange appearances, never, ne Popak, I can deal with the glasses, okay? If you start doing the tight shirts like that, man, I'm doing it. I'm doing an intervention. Um, but his, <laughs> his polo shirts don't Fitton. I'm just going to use that. He was the, you know, this is interesting. We're going to get to him in a bit. Uh, researchers established he was the number three purveyor of misinformation on Twitter, the number three source of misinformation, one guy alone on Twitter for the 2020 uh, through the 2020 election. Fascinating. And this is who Trump follows as one of his informal advisors. And so uh, clearly there would not be attorney client privilege because he's not an attorney. Um, exactly. This is who Donald Trump looked to consulted with. But the better word's probably not consulted. It's probably conspired with to engage in all the election related crimes that special counsel Jack Smith is investigating. And what was really interesting about Fitton going to the grand jury, in addition to the fact that he like did it in a way where he like put a hood over his head almost and like tried to hide and like he was clearly uncomfortable when he was caught by the camera scene, put a hood over his head, but he was wearing a trench coat and he tried to uh Clearly, he was uncomfortable with the cameras where he always goes in front of his own camera and spreads this information every day. But 
we've heard his name in the connection with Donald Trump talking about his connections to this uh, group, Judicial Watch, which is the exact opposite of what the name suggests, which is the dystopian nature of MAGA. But we didn't really hear the name so much in terms of the January 6th committee didn't really, I mean, they mentioned, of course, his emails to Donald Trump leading to the election from July and then in October, where Fitton basically gave the script to Trump about what to say after Donald Trump uh, lost to declare victory regardless. So we got that glimpse with the email. But Fitton always struck me as a bigger character than he was even presented in that January 6th committee. So the fact here that uh, you have special counsel Jack Smith focused on it is interesting to me. So what are the implications here, Popak? Well, I mean, as you laid out uh, at the start of, of this, there's really two areas and two probably separate grand juries. I'm trying to figure out and noodle around which grand jury he appeared in front of. Um, I always love he's a self-proclaimed expert on his Twitter handle. He puts that in quotes. Um, expert of who knows what. Um, and he also conveniently left out in his Twitter feed, although it's prolific and the amount of vomit that he spews in Twitter, that's generally wrong. He left out the whole section about him being called into the grand jury and giving testimony other than a, a, a vague reference to it in a photo that said, I'm back. What did I miss? You know, I'm back from testifying in the criminal prosecution of the president, former president of the United States, is what he should have said. And as you said, no attorney-client privilege. This is what happens when you consult with wannabe lawyers who aren't really licensed to practice law. There's no privilege for that. There's no Twitter, YouTube privilege at, at issue. There's two areas that they likely are focused on. I think it's two separate grand juries. I'll have to figure out which one he was in front of for this one. One is um, he helped draft the press release or the press announcement, media release that Trump never gave, in which he was going to declare himself the, the winner of the election based on all votes received by the election day deadline, a made up concept. There's no such thing as the election day deadline because absentee ballots are allowed to come in after, always have been, even the ones that have been cast by Donald Trump, who's a notorious absentee ballot a voter himself and mail-in ballots and veteran, you know, or overseas armed forces ballots and all those things. All those things come in after by a postmark date that's established in each state's um, uh, rules related to voting. So this this thing that's not a thing. I won. If you only count the votes that came in on election day or or voted in person or. That's not a thing, but it shows we're back to the mens rea, the criminal mind, the criminal intent of Donald Trump in conspiring, as you said earlier, so rightly with a guy like Tom Fitton to issue this press release. So that's that's one. Like, what is that all about? What did the president really believe? And what were your discussions with the president? This is all grand jury, perfect fodder for the grand jury to Tom Fitton. How'd that come about? Who set that meeting? What was that based on? What did Donald Trump say to you? What did you say to Donald Trump? All of that. The second thing is, well, as you said earlier, is the Mar-a-Lago documents, because the case that you refer to, which we jokingly refer to, although it is literally true, as the Clinton socks drawer case, is where, to remind people, or those who are first-time listeners, is where Clinton kept audio tapes. He probably had one of those little, people don't use them really anymore, but those those little micro cassette um, dictation, you know, tape recorders, and he was recording just, you know, free flow, you know, free, you know, freestyle thoughts in his head for a future memoir. 
Those tapes were turned over to an author, Taylor Branch, who eventually wrote a book, Judicial Watch, this non-thing thing that Tom Fenton runs, sued um, the National Archives and other and other entities to try to get their hands on these on these tapes, arguing that they were presidential records. And Amy Berman Jackson, who we spoke a lot about, a, a district court judge in D.C. that we like a lot because of her rulings, it could be on the Supreme Court one day, she said, nonsense, these are not presidential records that should end up in the public domain. These were his private musings that ended up being in a book. But this whole thing, it's very well reported. I think Fitton is the first one to tell you in his own Twitter feed that, you know, he thinks that that was a successful case. It wasn't. He lost. But he, he, he lost. The, he, he lost said, the case, Popak. The judge basically said it was a borderline frivolous case. Right. He filed the case in 2011 or 2012 based on Clinton making these personal recordings for his 96. memoir. Right. Yeah, 20 years before. <laughs> right. and, and, and the judge right. looked at the filing like this is a stupid filing. You can't compel the National Archives. First off, who the hell are you, Fitton? Like, who are you? Like, you can't compel the archives to compel the president when we're talking about his personal records to do anything. Go away. And and the MAGA's like, the Sox case precedent. It allows Donald Trump to steal nuclear secrets after well, the, he leaves office. Well, this so this is right. So his argument to the president was based on losing precedent that he established, but him also not being a lawyer, so not knowing how to really comprehend the loss that he had, tells tells Trump apparently, hey, when you left office, you magically declassified everything. It instantly, instantly became personal and not presidential record as soon as you brought it to Mar-a-Lago because you brought it to Mar-a-Lago. And Trump goes with this and files it in an, in an 11th Circuit, also losing brief in front of the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. But this is the argument. So my gut is it's more on the let's talk about the criminal mind of Donald Trump and what he knew or didn't know about his loss and and the big lie, which you helped promulgate, and maybe a little bit less about Mar-a-Lago. But either way, Tom Fenton deserves to be dragged in to a criminal grand jury or one or two to testify about uh, Donald Trump. I mean, look, if this is if this is how you're going to apply your trade, this apparently is how he makes a living. If this is how you're going to apply your trade, and you're going to try through your um, advice giving, and you're being the the uh, the guru for Donald Trump to overthrow democracy, then you're going to end up having. You, you may not be the target yet of a criminal investigation, but you're certainly going to be a witness. No Fifth Amendment privilege. I don't think we didn't hear that there was an assertion there. We didn't hear that there was a hearing in front of Beryl Howell, the, the uh, chief judge of the um, of the uh, the courts that oversee the grand jury in the District of Columbia over the assertion of Fifth Amendment. So I don't think there was one. I think he testified. Maybe he took it here or there. But I, there wasn't a prior fight over the Fifth Amendment and Tom Fitton, not the one that I'm aware of. So I think they had this guy without privilege, completely prone and, you know, got whatever they got. Do you think it was over? The, do you think they were more focused in this grand jury on the criminal intent of Donald Trump and the election announcement than on the Mar-a-Lago? What do you think, Ben? Well, it's hard. To, I don't really know is the truth because it, both are equally relevant. You've got two criminal grand juries that are taking place in Washington, D.C., at least two, um, probably more. Um, but you know, we know there's the one investigating Trump's theft of the government records, as well as election interference. Clearly, Fitton would uh, be a significant witness for premeditation and showing that regardless of what the outcome was, 
this was the plan, declare victory and engage in an insurrection, whatever it takes to overthrow the government to stay in power. And on the other hand, you know, when Donald Trump basically says there is no there is no crime for me stealing these records, the Presidential Records Act isn't a criminal statute. And it's like, well, you're getting dumb advice from Fitton because there are criminal statutes. It's not a complicated thing. And you you see Alina Haba, who we'll talk about a little bit later, kind of parroting that. She's like, there, there's no there's no criminal statutes. What, what's the DOJ talking about? And it's because these lawyers are all idiots. Um, there's really it, it's very it's very clear what the criminal statutes were because they're actually listed in the search warrant. Right. It's um, obstruction. It is the concealment and mutilation, and it is violation of the Espionage Act. You can't steal government records when you're no longer in the government, um, even if you're the president. You can't steal a former president. You can't steal them, hide them, conceal them, obstruct them. You are just but an average citizen at that point. And Fitton was basically telling him, no, you could keep it. You could steal it. So it's possible it's possible because and we've told our uh, listeners and we've explained to our viewers how the grand jury process works, that the grand jurors are picked the same way as regular jurors are picked, but their commitment is for a far longer period of time. Um, and they only meet a few times a month. And so coordinating when a witness shows up, I wouldn't be surprised if they went Hey, you know, two hours in one and then took him to two hours in the other to try to coordinate it. That wouldn't shock me. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. I think, as we've said, the focus and the way that uh, Jack Smith and Merrick Garland thread the needle of the difference between Joe Biden and Trump and Pence and the rest of them on classified documents, barely not Clinton and Obama, because they, they seem to be completely clean, is not focused on the Espionage Act, but focused on obstruction, 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 which is exactly the thing that Merrick Garland said eight or 10 times during the press conference when he announced Jack Smith, knowing in the back of his mind about the beginnings of the Biden issue, because that had already been reported to him before he took the podium for Jack Smith. This is obstruction focus. It's not that you accidentally have them, which is what it appears to be, of course, with our current president. It's that you obstructed the return of them and in every way, shape, or form culminating in the execution of a search warrant. No, absolutely. So we'll keep you updated more. But I, I expect I'll, every week now when we do these legal AFs, like that special grand jury is going to really, really be heating up because if there are indictments, which you and I both think there are going to be here, I mean, you're, you're looking, I think, around May, the latest, maybe June. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I think it's an April, May, June, April. Yeah, somewhere in there. So we will keep you posted there. Let's talk about this emergency hearing held before Judge Arthur Ngoron in New York State Court in Attorney General Letitia James's fraud lawsuit against Donald Trump, where she's seeking at least $250 million in damages against Trump and his adult children. Just to remind everyone, this case really focuses on Donald Trump's fraudulent valuations of his properties and his statements of financial conditions, where he would basically say for purposes of uh, gaining all of these uh, benefits, both in terms of tax treatment and insurance benefits. And by the way, put a little asterisk there when we're talking about insurance benefits, because as we talk about Alvin Bragg, uh, the Manhattan grand jury uh, in a little bit there, 
Uh, it's possible that Helen Weisselberg may be charged with insurance fraud that is related to the insurance fraud in the civil case that's being brought uh, by New York Attorney General about how the statements of financial conditions were framed to gain certain benefits uh, and to defraud uh, entities to gain advantages for purposes of, of getting different types of insurance. So we'll, we'll, we'll break that down, though, in a bit with the Manhattan Grand Jury. Um, but Trial set for October 2nd of 2023 in this civil fraud lawsuit. Basically, if Letitia James wins and there's no settlement or anything like that, the Trump organization, for all purposes, is probably going to be shut down. It's one of the things being sought in the injunctive relief. At least it'll be shut down from doing business in New York, and it has a lot of holdings uh, in New York. Also, the damage is seeking a floor of $250 million will be uh, really, really real money, um, not the $1.6 million when the Trump organization was convicted of the felony uh, uh, previously in New York in the Alvin Bragg prosecution, or even when Trump, Trump and Alina Habba were sanctioned a million dollars by a federal judge in the Southern District of Florida. Trump can write those checks, but a billion dollars, $750 million. That's not really a check that Donald Trump could write. But this emergency hearing started when uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James wrote a letter to Arthur and Goron, the judge, saying, we've now finally received the verified answer from Trump and his adult children. A verified answer is the document that responds to the complaint. The complaint is the lawsuit that was filed back in September, late September. So if you're wondering why it's taking until January or February for a verified answer to finally be filed, don't you think that should happen in October or November? Well, one of the tactics Trump did to try to delay that is to file a BS motion to dismiss, which the judge previously, we covered this on Legal AF, called Trump and his lawyers out on and said, these are all frivolous uh, grounds for trying to seek a dismissal. I'm very close to sanctioning you. Um, and then here, uh, the, you, you can wait until filing your verified answer after the motion to dismiss is ruled on. So it's kind of a delay tactic that was used by Trump. Although for purposes of delay, the key thing is, is the trial date going to be moved or not? And again, the trial date's October of 2023. And so now what you see, whether it's New York Attorney General Letitia James or Roberta Kaplan, who's E. Jean Carroll's lawyers, or anyone else who's on the opposite side of a Trump litigation, with all of these rulings that now exist, that Trump is a vexatious litigant, that Trump files baseless lawsuits, that he engages in harassing tactics, you see the lawyers run into court right away the moment Trump tries to do something. Because if you, if you wait a week or you wait two weeks, Trump then basically uses your, whether you want to call it collegiality or reasonableness or lack of diligence, you know, by not running in immediately to say, well, if you had a problem with it, you should have ran in right away. Then when you run in right away, Trump and his lawyers go, oh, they're making, they're making much about nothing here. We got this. Don't worry. But the lawyers who are against Trump are like, we rather go in right away and deal with the judge than wait and have Trump's lawyers basically say we were not diligent. Um, and so here they brought this to the court's attention in a letter. And then Judge Arthur Engeron the very next day issued an order saying, everybody's coming to my court right now. I want the AG's lawyers. I want Trump's lawyers. Everybody show up. 
And and Goran in the hearing was like, look, in my 30, 40 years of practice, I've never seen the documents that you've filed being so groundless and meritless and long and weird objections and boilerplate like you need to fix this. And then ultimately there was a resolution. So what what happened here, Popak? How is this resolved? And most importantly, is the trial date going to remain? Trial date's remaining because the judge announced that by hell or high water, pardon my French, this is the judge's quote, we are starting at 10 a.m. on the 2nd of October, 2023. That's it. Case is going to trial. And the fact that the answer got filed sort of late off of the motion to dismiss practice, him having denied, as we said earlier, <clears throat> the motion to dismiss and calling it borderline frivolous. This sounds familiar to people that watch our show talking about Trump motions and lawsuits um, on the 5th of January, they then had to get around to filing their answer. Now, I want to make one clarification, because by shorthand, we keep saying it's the cases against the civil fraud case under Letitia James, the New York Attorney General's very robust powers under executive law 63-12 in New York. We refer to it as New York practitioners as the 63-12 powers. Sounds ordinary, but it's really extraordinary. She's a super, she's she's like uh, she's like a, a superhero with unlimited powers when it comes to going after fraud, continuing fraud and against uh, organizations and individuals that run those organizations in a way that even prosecutors are jealous of the powers that the New York Attorney General has under the statute. Financial monitors being appointed as we've already talked about. There are actually, it's not just Trump and the kids. There's 16 defendants, all related to Donald Trump, including Alan Weisselberg. So Alan Weisselberg is also in the crosshairs of a large civil judgment against him. So is Jeff McConney, who is the uh, controller, uh, former controller of the Trump organization, who has testified, who is being brought into the grand jury that we'll talk about next, special grand jury by Alvin Bragg. Because just to remind everybody, there is a continuous working relationship between the New York Attorney General's office and Alvin Bragg's Manhattan DA's office with lawyers cross-deputized to work on the cases, civil side, criminal side, and they cooperate and collaborate together. So we've got 16 defendants, including Trump, the Trump kids, those entities, um, and uh, those couple of executives that we just talked about. And all 16 filed a three, over a 300-page verified answer. And the portion that had to be verified by Donald Trump is Donald Trump with his big black Sharpie writing Donald Trump, which means as, as a verified pleading, it is sworn under penalty of perjury as if he's giving a testimony in court under, under oath. Same thing. And so the attack started as a, this is really too long. The answer is, has to be amended. Now, let me explain something. In a trial court, pleadings are not evidence. If they're verified, meaning that they're sworn testimony, they have an aspect of being evidential, of having an evidentiary foundation and can be used because somebody's sworn to it. But generally, pleadings are not evidence. And the court instructs the jury that while they can look at the pleadings and all of that, it's the, it's the evidence that's developed in the court of law that is the work that the jury as the trier of fact should be focused on, except in these rare circumstances where there are verified pleadings, which are the equivalent of sworn testimony. The problem that the New York Attorney General's office had and argue to Judge Engeron and why they wanted to, to cut it off at the pass right now, given there were only, 
you know, February, March, we were six months away from the, from the trial, is that they did not like the fact that on a number of occasions, things that were demonstrably true and that the Trump organization or, or Donald Trump himself or his children themselves in other proceedings, other court proceedings and other sworn statements or in deposition testimony had taken the exact opposite position. So for example, they, the big fight was over what is the Trump organization? And everybody conceded that it's not a legal entity that you can necessarily sue. It's more of a, a doing business as what we call a DBA, a fictitious name that covers hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Trump-related organizations. And they call it, they brand it the Trump Organization. That's fine. She's not seeking a judgment against the Trump Organization per se. It's all these subsidiaries and affiliates that are named in in the pleading, including Donald Trump and all of that. So this whole s this whole fight, academic fight about what is there a Trump organization? Is there not, you know, and Alina Haba appearing in court for the Trump organization? You know, there was this whole silly fight over is there a Trump org or isn't there? And Judge Angeron finally said, "Look, we're not going to delay this trial for this nonsense about the pleadings. Yes, it's the most one of the most ridiculous pleadings I've ever seen filed." But like, clean it up. If you got a problem, the lawyers should work offline. The uh, lawyers for the New York Attorney General, you should send what's called a deficiency letter to the other side saying how you think all these things are deficient and give them another opportunity to file an amended verified answer that resolves the issues that you have. But I'm not stopping the trial. I'm not stopping the trial because you guys are fighting or Trump is fighting on the pleading side. Now, here you had... Um, it wasn't really Alina Haba, no surprise, taking the lead. We'll talk later about her, her slow, her quiet quitting. She wasn't even there. The right. They're, they're, I think the kids call it quiet quitting. She's quietly quitting all of these cases because she's completely radioactive, having been sanctioned a million dollars down in Florida. Um, and every, she loses every place she ever goes. I mean, she's like the reverse of Midas Touch. Every time everything she touches turns to the opposite of gold. So Mierdis. Mirdas, right. So she's out. And Chris Keis, who was the former attorney general um, in Florida, not a New York practitioner, but has you know a decent reputation, hasn't yet been completely sullied by his affiliation with his client, Donald Trump. He's there kind of arguing with the lawyers like, well, you know, we want to be careful and there's no such thing as a Trump org. So that's why we denied it 600 times. And that's why the pleading's so long. And the judge was like, enough. Go work out the pleading situation. That's not going to stop this case from going to trial. And that's hold not back, even really back. Can I pose evidence? I, I want to just sure, pose, pause once because it, it's so brilliant in your analysis. But I want to <laughs> just unpack the one thing that what Christopher Keis, Trump's lawyer, was saying as one of the arguments. And I've seen this before and you've seen this before. And whenever, you know, corporate defendants try to make this argument, they never win on it. But they constantly think it's a thing that they're going to do where they go, look, this corporation doesn't even exist. And it's like, what are you talking about? You're tra not, not in this case with Trump, but I've had this situation in my career. I'm like, you're literally trading on the stock exchange. You, you know, like it, there's your own entity. Well, actually, that's just the parent company. And there's a number of other LLCs. And I'm like, all right, good luck making the argument to the judge that you don't exist. And that was one of the arguments that Keis was trying to make. The Trump org isn't even a thing. And what was so funny, though, is that Eric Trump's lawyer, basically argued the exact opposite because one of their denials was, 
whether or not one of these LLCs existed. And they go, no, 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 the LLCs is just part of the Trump org. And so they were actually saying exactly contradictory things. But that was like their argument, like their their Perry Mason moment is we don't even exist. This isn't yeah. even real. Sorry. Well, my other no, no problem. And, I, and my other favorite moment for Chris Keis is when he actually had was able to get this next sentence out with a straight straight face. He told the judge that judge, we're just careful lawyers. When has Donald Trump's lawyers ever been accused of being careful in anything, including in their lawyering or in their filings? You know, they're just trying to separate themselves from all the past. But of course, Judge Engoron, Engoron knows <clears throat> all about Middlebrook's case in Florida, the million dollar fine and all the places where he's been sanctioned or dismissed along the way. The, the, the issues that were real, not the Trump organization ones, that the New York Attorney General was concerned about was things like Donald Trump denying in this pleading that he was actually the de facto president of his companies. We'll just leave it at that. When in prior sworn testimony, he testified that he was. So they don't like that. They don't like that Ivanka, not to let her off the hook, we're going to talk about her in the Alan Weisselberg Manhattan DA issue next. Um, Ivanka did not, there's, there's something you can do in an answer. You can either admit it, you can deny it, you can admit as much of it as you can admit, you can deny the rest, or you can do what lawyers refer to as DKI, deny knowledge or information sufficient to be able to form a belief as to whether I can admit or deny it. It's a fancy way of saying I don't have enough information to admit or deny it, so I'm going to put deny knowledge or information. And she denied knowledge or information in a couple of places that pissed the New York Attorney General off. She denied knowledge or information about whether she ever met with bankers. So so Ivan, unless Ivanka Trump is not the Ivanka Trump that we know from television, she seems to be a functioning human being. She would You would think if she's running an organization or co-running an organization for her father, which she did, she was not just a titular figurehead. She was apparently running large swaths of the Trump organization empire. She can't remember ever meeting with any bankers. That seems to be completely incredible. She also denied information or knowledge about emails that had her name on it, which is also ridiculous. So they want the games playing to stop. They want the pleading straightened out. They want the, because they're fighting hard, not because, because it's the unusual circumstance where this pleading can be evidence because it's under oath. So they want the under oath stuff to be true or it's perjury if it's a lie. And since they're not taking, I don't think, any more depositions in the case. I mean, the other solution for this, if Engeron gets around to it and doesn't like the results from this process that he set up, which is go do a deficiency letter and work it out, if you got to come back to me, he may allow depositions to happen again on these small issues. She's not, in other words, she's not going to get away with right before trial denying something that's eminently false. Or, you know, the New York Attorney General says, you know what, she wants to try that, then we'll impeach her on the stand when she takes the stand in, inevitably in October of 2023. So they're going to have to strategically play their hand here as to whether they do they really want to fight to get her to give some sort of answer or they want to use it to impeach her, her brother, her father when they're on the stand and they will all be on the stand. Now, whether they're going to take the Fifth Amendment again with an adverse inference instruction to the jury saying every time you hear Fifth Amendment, you can you can assume that they don't want to answer the question because it's not great for them. And you can make the adverse inference because that's going to happen here. You know, Trump takes the stand. He can't phone it in. Trump takes the stand in October. 
Now, if he wants to take the Fifth Amendment in a civil proceeding, he does so at his own peril in front of the jury, who gets instructed that every time he takes the Fifth, it is a negative answer to that question. Did you, did you steal the money? Fifth Amendment, you can assume he stole the money. And that's that's how they're going to try this case. And that $250 million, what I call disgorgement money, you're right, that is that is the floor. It can go up much higher than that in front of this jury who may be ready to finally write a check and bankrupt the, whatever you call it, the Trump organization or whatever, Donald Trump himself. Well, here's the thing too. So in addition to all the Trumps who are going to plead the fifth, like who's going to be a witness for them? We, we saw this when New York Attorney General Letitia James filed for a preliminary injunction to appoint an independent monitor to review if there's any material transactions or if Trump's moving money around. What Judge Arthur and Goran pointed out was not only is the Fifth Amendment the adverse inference against the Trumps when they when they invoked the Fifth, but they didn't even put forward a scintilla of evidence. The exact words that Ngoran used, like no evidence from an expert witness saying Here's why the valuation was 15x the appraised value. No declaration from anyone within the Trump organization under oath saying, here's the reason why we think even if you have appraisal X from the state, here is why we're valuing it at Y on our taxes, or here's why we're putting it in our statement of financial conditions as such. And the reason is because they engaged in crimes. So anybody who writes the declaration is going to be criminally prosecuted for lying. And if they tell the truth, they're going to be confessing. So there is no favorable witness, or at least none that come to mind, uh, anybody who will testify in their favor. And so it's going to be this civil trial, a very, very, very problematic trial for Trump. Well, can but I mention something on that before you move on? Yep. I, I think what they're going to try to do is, if I understand their trial strategy, the defense trial strategy, is they're going to try to bring in all of the banks and the insurance companies who are at the heart of the fraud, right? She's bringing it, Letitia James, New York Attorney General under 63-12, is bringing the case on on behalf of victims, if you will, who were victimized by the insurance fraud, appraisal fraud, real estate fraud, where they, you know, inflated the value of real estate in order to get insurance at a certain rate um, and to get loans on assets that were hyperinflated through Donald Trump's imagination and based on nothing else, and then deflated the price of these same pieces of property in order to save on taxes put aside the tax issue, they've always argued there's no victims here. The banks are sophisticated parties that are not suing, haven't sued, don't have not claimed that they were defrauded. Insurance companies, apparently the same. So they're going to try to bring in, I've seen this done in criminal cases brought by the SEC when I, back in my prior life, when I was in-house counsel for a company that had a former employee who got nailed in an SEC criminal investigation where he won in Connecticut by bringing in people, sophisticated trading counterparties, if you will, who said that basically they were not defrauded or they would have done the trade anyway. So they're going to bring in, I assume, a bunch of former bankers and former whatevers who are going to say, yeah, we didn't like it, but we would have done the deal with them anyway. We weren't defrauded and we don't feel that we 
um, overpaid or overloaned or over whatever because of Donald Trump's actions. I assume that's going to be on the witness list, right, Ben? I assume so. But then New York Attorney General Letitia James is going to remind the jury that the victims here, and she said this in her press release, is the state of New York. By Trump engaging in all of these phony and financial dealings and inflating the value of his properties, he was able to take advantage of other New Yorkers. He was able to skew uh, through fraudulent means the markets to give himself all of these advantages, which ultimately resulted in advantages in him paying less taxes and him uh, defrauding insurance companies and him defrauding also the state of New York, you know, through through means of like declaring uh, deductions for easements based on inflated valuations that should never have, you know, that, that should never have taken place in the first place. So, yes, in a sophisticated party-to-party -party transaction was one of the parties, uh, you know, partially responsible in their lack of appropriate diligence. Uh, potentially, you could try to make that argument, but ultimately, who are the victims here? The victims are the people in the state of New York. The victims are when an entity is going around engaging in crimes, they are they are harming the entire state and the people of the state who are abiding by the laws. And if you don't enforce your laws, what's the point of having the laws in the first place? You know, and so I think that's what's going to come out over and over again. And again, with Donald Trump invoking the Fifth Amendment, it's going to be a very, very, very rough one for Trump there. We got a lot to talk about. We got to talk about Alina Haba. Um, again, we, 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 we've touched on it slightly. Is she out? Donald Trump has brought in another lawyer, Joe Takapina, in the E. Jean Carroll case. We got to also talk about the Manhattan District Attorney impaneling a criminal grand jury presenting evidence there. Mostly all legal observers I've talked to believe a criminal indictment is going to be coming out of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office against Donald Trump. And of course, we got to talk about everybody's uh, fan favorite in the Midas Touch YouTube chat room, George Santos. Also, has everybody seen Killing County yet? You've seen the poster uh, behind me. Killing County is, uh, is the new show on Hulu that uh, I executive produced with Colin Kaepernick, Robe Embriano, Monica Del, Ro Del Rosa from ABC, an incredible team at Hulu uh, and ABC News. It's doing great on uh, on Hulu right now. If you haven't watched it, make sure you watch Killing County. It focuses on the crime, corruption, uh, and police shootings that take place in Bakersfield and in Kern County, which just so happens to be Kevin McCarthy's district. It's harrowing. It's tragic. It's inspiring seeing uh, all of these families coming together and exposing the corruption. And it's told through a true crime lens. It's called uh, Killing County. Uh, again, Bakersfield, you have the highest police shooting deaths in the country. You've got the highest homicide and murder rate in the country. You got the highest crime in the country. And all of that is in Kevin McCarthy's uh, district. Uh, let me know what you think about the show and spread the message about Killing County. Um, and before we talk about some of these other topics, I'm going to toss it to one of our other co-anchors, Jordy Micellis, who's a fan favorite, to give you this quick message from some of our sponsors. Jordy, 
Take it away. And now let's take a quick break to talk about our next partner, Zbiotics. You ever skip a workout because of drinks the night before? Well, me too. If you're committed to your healthy routine this year, you need Zbiotics. Zbiotics Pre-Alcohol Probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. So here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics, it produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it the most. Just remember to drink Zbiotics before drinking alcohol. Drink responsibly and get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. The first time I tried Zbiotics was on vacation with my wife. You know, as instructed, I drank a bottle of Zbiotics before any alcohol, and I was amazed at how good I felt the next day. Give Zbiotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com/legalaf to get 15% off your first order when you use legalaf at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, head to zbiotics.com slash LegalAF and use code LegalAF at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this. And now let's take a quick break to talk about our next partner, Miracle Made. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend that you check out Miracle Made's bed sheets. Inspired by silver-infused fabrics made by NASA, Miracle Made makes temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Using silver-infused fabrics originally developed by NASA, Miracle Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you get a better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with natural silver that prevent 99.9% .9 of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresh three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Clean sheets means less bacteria to clog your pores and fewer breakouts and other skin problems. Go to trymiracle.com legalaf to try it today. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Save over 40% off and be sure to use our promo code LegalAF at checkout to save even more and get three free towels. And Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash LegalAF and use the code LegalAF to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash LegalAF to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this. And now let's take a quick break to talk about our next partner, Fume. Be smart, don't start, kick the habit. Put it out before it puts you out. All phrases we've heard a hundred times, yet we still continue to have bad habits. Now, as you may know, I have a horrible habit of grinding my teeth that just drives me up the walls. Well, our sponsor Fume is on a mission to accelerate humanity's breakup from bad habits that consume far too many of us. Fume is a natural diffusive device that uses plants and behavioral science to help you trade out your negative habit for a positive one. Fume is not a vape. 
It's a non-electronic device designed to transform your negative habits. Instead of pods filled with potentially harmful chemicals like a vape, Fume uses cores infused with plants like peppermint and cinnamon for delicious flavors. With an adjustable airflow dial and a magnetic end cap, your fingers will always have something to always do. Now, look, I didn't expect much out of Fume when I first got it, but the minty sensation is really powerful and it really hits the back of your throat in a good way. Also, the design is super sleek. My own experience with Fume has been game-changing. The easiest way to stop a bad habit is to switch to a positive one, and Fume is designed perfectly to do just that. It's Fume's goal to make switching easy and even enjoyable. They have thousands of five-star reviews from people just like you who've successfully switched when other solutions just didn't work. Head to tryfume.com and use code LEGALAF to save 10% off when you get the Journey Pack today. The Journey Pack comes with three unique flavors and the new version 2 Fume to help kickstart your positive habits. That's tryfume.com and use code LEGALAF to save an additional 10% off your order today. And now, back to the video. Jordy does really good ad reads, Popak. Don't you? I mean, Jordy's a... Jordy does a lot of great things. Those ad reads, I want to buy them. I want to buy everything Jordy's selling. Yeah, I've listened. I've always tried. You and I've talked about trying to find ways for Jordy to get more involved with Legal AF. He's a um, non-lawyer, but I've, <laughs> I've 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 suggested throughout the, throughout the years. I know he's a he's a lawyer aficionado. He likes being around lawyers. He likes the law. Try to find ways for him and. Uh, and he's a great he's great at, he's great at this part he's my fan he's one of my fan favorites i like jordy a lot yeah, no he's everyone's fan favorite he's probably the favorite host <laughs> of legal af right now based on based on those ad reads so we talked about alina haba before the sponsor break and we explained that she was not at the emergency hearing when asked why she wasn't there one of the lawyers was like oh she just couldn't make it in time really she couldn't make it in time i mean she would obviously be there and in her past appearances you know she, she's a she's a horrible lawyer in in every aspect and and in many ways she's the worst lawyer Donald Trump's actually ever had and I'm including the one that Giuliani farted on what's her name Jenna Ellis like Jenna Ellis is is not as smart as Haba but she doesn't really pretend to be like she sat there and took that Giuliani fart right to the face and was just like I'm good with this like I'm okay with it like Alina Haba pretends that she's smart and she gives the slight appearance that you know she she knows what she's talking but she she doesn't it, it, she 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 knows less you, than jenna ellis you think she's worse you think she's worse for trump than john eastman or rudy or Sidney powell I, 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 a worse a, a worse lawyer i'm not worse for trump um but but she's 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 just a, she's really bad like eastman yeah you're right they're all really bad <laughs> I, I i i i they're you know giuliani you can't choose one you can't I have can't it's choose, like a potato chip you can't just eat one i can't choose one but you know get <laughs> trump criminally indicted you're all right lose trump a million dollars you got some real problems here you know so and that's where alina hob is at you know and alina Habba's approach though too like when she would show up to court uh with engoron and goron in a case that was very um you know in a case that clearly donald trump's got 
he engaged in all this horrible conduct and, and Goran doesn't like the conduct that he's seen Trump engaged in. And she would just like yell at the judge. And so Christopher Keis, Trump's lawyer who showed up, had basically a whole different approach with the judge, kind of like all shucks, right? Like, I'm sorry, you know, we, we'll work this out. Let's all get together. I got you. Whereas Alina Habba would yell at Ngoron because she would think it's Fox or OAN or one of those shows. And Ngoron would be like, you know, I'm going to sanction you. You know, I'm going to hold Trump in contempt. And Ngoron did, you know, while Habba was representing him in the special proceeding. Um, but then you also look at the E. Jean Carroll case and Roberta Kaplan filed a document. Roberta Kaplan is E. Jean Carroll's lawyer. And in the document that she filed, a letter brief to the judge um, on the heels of E. Jean Carroll's deposition, just wrote, look, we got this notice. We got this call from uh, Haba who said she's withdrawing from the case and that they're bringing in Takapina, a uh, new lawyer, and that they wanted a brief delay on the deposition. Look, judge, we have trial set in April. We're okay with Haba withdrawing. We just want to make sure that this isn't going to delay the trial there. And then Haba then wrote a letter back basically saying, I'm not actually out. Takapina is going to be the lead trial lawyer. I'm still clinging on. I'm still, I'm still around. I'm still in the orbit. Um, and the sole reason that we, we need to talk about scheduling, though, Haba wrote, but the sole reason isn't because of uh, the change of lawyers, but they clearly want to move that trial. And you saw it in Habba's response letter when she used the term, the sole reason why we want to talk about scheduling. And so Habba lies about everything. Obviously, Habba called Kaplan and said, I'm withdrawing. And then she begged Donald Trump to like stay on in some capacity. You know, and they're just playing games, you know, and so Roberta Kaplan did the right thing, sent a letter to the court. So really two things, to, a few things to talk about. I don't think we need to belabor the point. Is Habba in or out? She's an agent of chaos, whatever, you know, doesn't, doesn't really matter. She She's not a trial lawyer. She won't be able to try the case. Takapin is going to try the case regardless. But I guess to me, Popak, what's more interesting has been your hot takes on Takapina, this new Trump lawyer who's taken multiple adverse positions, one in an insurrectionist sentencing and the other in this very specific case. And it's odd because, you know, lawyers can have different clients, but like direct adverse positions, it's, it's, it, it, it comes very close to the line of an unwaivable conflict. Um, it comes very close. Um, what do you think? Yeah, so Joe, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's this is what happens when lawyers who are practicing lawyers are also TV commentators and talking heads about the very same matters that they one day may want to be engaged as counsel. I think you either have to retire and become a legal commentator or do what we do, which is be a legal commentator, but never take a case for somebody that we've critiqued on the show because it's going to come back to bite you and the client in the butt, including maybe in court if Robbie Kaplan has her way and plays the old tapes or quotes from Joe Tacopina, legal commentator, about the very case that he is now the lead trial counsel for. So to, not to belabor the point, and everybody's waiting with bated breath who haven't, hasn't seen my hot take, Joe Tacopina 
bulldog lawyer to the stars, has represented every rapper around, has represented A-Rod, represented the guy that was accused of killing the poor uh, co-ed down in the Bahamas a number of uh, uh, years ago. He takes controversial cases. He was a prosecutor, I think, in the Bronx. He's got a good trial representation. But this is yet another example of Donald Trump picking the wrong lawyer for the wrong case. In the case of Alina Habba, she's not qualified really to handle any sophisticated litigation for him at all. She's just a puppet mouthpiece for whatever Donald Trump's musings are at any given moment. And she just signs her name to it and files it like a lawyer, exercising no independent judgment because she doesn't have any. We know that because she's been on cable news attacking the very judges in real time that she's appearing in front of for Donald Trump, always a dangerous gambit to play. Joe Dak, so she's wrong for almost all the cases. The only thing right about her was, I don't know, if he thought that a New York jury would 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 want a female lead trial lawyer cross-examining E. Jean Carroll, the 78-year-old woman, now 78-year-old woman who claims she was um, sexually assaulted, raped in a uh, Manhattan department store dressing room, that maybe they want a female voice. But Lena Hobb is not that kind of person that would engender any kind of um, empathy or sympathy from a jury or authenticity from the jury. The jury, as you know, Ben, but to, to share it with our listeners and followers, one thing is certain, regardless if it's state or federal, doesn't matter the decade that I'm talking about. Juries historically will smell a fraud with a lawyer or a witness a mile away. They will smell inauthenticity and they, they create um, opinions about the lawyers. And if they don't trust the lawyer, which I don't know how they could trust Alina Haba. I mean, she'd have to start jury selection if she was the lead trial lawyer doing <laughs> breaking a cardinal sin, which is she'd have to break the fourth wall and say to the jury, do you know me? Have you seen me on television? Have you seen me make comments about this judge? I mean, that's a terrible way to start your, your jury selection process. That's her. Joe Tacopina's no better because he's the wrong guy for the job as well. First of all, I'm not sure having a bulldog male trial lawyer going after E. Jean Carroll on the stand in front of a New York jury is the right look, if you know what I mean. Secondly, he's got his own problem because in, in 2020, he went on or he gave a quote to CNBC in which in this case that he's now the lead trial lawyer as of Tuesday, he said that that the article one of the or, or uh, the first article one of the U.S. Constitution setting the, the powers of the presidency does not include doing an ad hominem attack against somebody that's accusing you of sexual assault. You're not you're, there's no such thing as the mudslinger in chief, uh, you know, taking a really hard tack against Donald Trump. Now, look, I know I know that uh, Robbie Kaplan lawyer extraordinaire, rock star lawyer, is is trying to figure out whether she can bring that into a courtroom in front of the jury. Um, and I know there's going to be a fight over it, right? There's going to be that motion in limine, the motion to limit pra uh, practice that you and I talk about a lot. He's going to try to keep it out because it's going to be prejudicial. He's going to blow the mind of the jury. It's going to be not, you know, and she's going to argue, well, I think what's good for the goose is what's good for the gander. He's representing him now. And these are statements that he's made about my client and about his client before. And we think it's relevant. There's going to be that fight. I'm not sure how Lewis Kaplan comes out on that, but I think Robbie tries. 
And, what, and what's Takapina going to say to the jury? Well, at one time, I uh, didn't trust him and I criticized him, but now I've seen the light and I think he's a truth teller. And my client, Donald Trump, that's going to be a very hard place for Joe to take. Now, I don't know why Donald Trump picked him. Now, he's using him in a number of cases. He's using him in this potential defamation case against Mark Pomerantz, the former special prosecutor in the Manhattan DA's office, about the memoir that's coming out this month called The People Versus Donald Trump. We've already seen him appear there. But as you said earlier, he's criticized Trump as recently as two weeks ago, representing another Jan 6th insurrectionist client, the one uh, Julian Cater, who is going to be sued by Brian Sicknick's family because he led to the death of Brian Sicknick in spraying bear spray into that poor Capitol Police officer's face and disabling him. And he and Brian Sicknick died a day later, and that was and then in the sentencing for Julian Cater, Joe Tacapina, maybe forgetting that he was about to be hired by Donald Trump in this matter we're talking about, Eugene Carroll said that let my guy off the hook and lower his sentencing because he was just following the big lie perpetrated by people at the highest level. That's Donald Trump. I mean, I joked on my hot take. Joe talks out of so many sides of his mouth that he must keep a list of which case is this. Is this the case where I'm, I am I trash Donald Trump to support one other client, or is, am I representing Donald Trump for this one? I mean, he's got to really keep it straight, which is weird because I've never in my 32-year career ever taken an opposite side of an existing client in another case because I knew it was going to get rammed up my backside. At some point, I'd lose all credibility with the court and maybe with the jury. So raw... Alina Haba, wrong trial lawyer for the job, obviously. So radioactive, she can't even get into a courtroom any longer for Donald Trump. And I think, just a little little, little bit of a twist, you said she may have begged Donald Trump to stay in the case. What I think happened is she, she, she committed a Freudian slip, in, what they call a Freudian slip in Washington. She accidentally told the truth. She told Robbie Kaplan, who we trust implicitly, and has been on Legal AF podcast before, talking about E. Jean Carroll, and other things. She told her, I, I'm leaving the case. Joe Tacopina is coming in as of Tuesday. We've got the second or third or fifth day of the uh, the deposition of E. Jean Carroll, I presume, on the new civil rape claims. And I'm not taking that depo. He's taking it. We need a day or two extension. And, you know, Robbie took notes and said, okay, great, but didn't and wanted to cut them off at the pass right now so that there wouldn't be any argument that if she agreed to an extension, of time to let Joe Tacopina get up to speed, remembering that Alina Haba took the first round of depositions against E. Jean Carroll, which we've reported on and have been released in transcripts that are now available and that we've shown on the Midas Touch Network and at Legal AF. But Joe's now going to do, I guess, the next round of depositions with E. Jean Carroll. Robbie didn't want to have it thrown back in her face that she allowed an extension and therefore we're going to extend this hard April trial date um, for the combined defamation and civil rape case that's now going to apparently be tried by Joe, Joe Tacopina. So she wrote a letter. We should do a lot of letter writing to judges in the, in, the, in the Southern District of New York, informing her, informing the judge, sorry, that, yeah, there's a new, new, new guy coming in and we, we might be cooperative on a day or two on this, but we are, we are adamant about a red line in the sand about the trial date. She freaked out, I think, Haba, like, oh, crap, the thing I told her sort of in private is now writ large in a filing on the public docket. And, so, and then they had to double back and say, no, 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 she's going to stay in. 
they need, let's just talk trial strategy for last moment. They need some female lawyer at counsel table for Donald Trump in a civil rape case. I looked at Joe Tacopina's website. He doesn't seem to have that. Uh, maybe he has a young associate, but he does, and, and it can't be window dressing. The jury smells a fraud. If the jury thinks that the lawyer sitting there is only sitting there for window dressing purposes, they feel like they've been had and they get mad. So you got to have somebody who can do a substantive role in the case. I don't know if they found that. The rumor on the street is they've been dialing around trying to find a female sophisticated trial lawyer who will jump into this case with Joe and haven't yet been successful. So I think they keep Alina for now. But the day that trial happens, if they don't have a colleague that's female with them, they have they have another big problem in that case. Popak, you gave a very graphic imagery before that I'm not going to let you get away with, with things being shoved up you know where. I just wanted to flag flag that one. Um, number two, we've got Alina Haba who lies about everything and Roberta Kaplan who tells the truth about everything. So who do you believe in that conversation isn't really even a close call. Um, but I'm with you. That trial, that trial soon. That trial is April. Before we know it, there's going to be jury selection there. Trump's going to try to delay it. Just you watch. You could already see it in Hobbes' letter uh, responding to the judge. The sole reason, the sole reason why we don't, why, why we need to have a meeting about scheduling is because of, or, or not the sole reason, is because of a change of lawyers. But uh, anyway, I um, want to talk about this Manhattan District Attorney's ramping up. I mean, look, we've said it here. You know, I've said, look, I agree with everybody. Uh, everyone's frustrations against Alvin Bragg and frustrations may be putting it lightly. I share. I'm with you. But all I was delivering, you know, and we had Alvin Bragg on, um, Karen Friedman Agnifilo, KFA, who's the number two, previous number two in the entire Manhattan District Attorney's Office. She interviewed Alvin Bragg. You know, by the way, I was reading those comments. I saw the criticisms of, of, of him. Um, you know, and the only thing that I was saying is, look, I think the criticisms are valid because you know, look, when you have people like Mark Pomerantz and Carrie Dunn out there saying we were ready to indict and then this got this got taken away from us and you got Pomerantz putting out a new book that's basically reflective of that as well. And we all know that Trump needs to be held accountable. The only point that I was making is, look, everything that Bragg seems to be doing is suggestive that he's going to criminally indict Donald Trump. Bragg's the only district attorney in the entire country who's gotten a criminal conviction of a Trump entity to date. There's a lot of other DAs in the country who have jurisdiction over Trump. It's not like Trump only exists in New York. Uh, he's the only one who's got a successful criminal conviction. So I think that's something. It's not Bragg's fault that the penalty is only 1.6 million. That's the New York state law. He got the max penalty. There are other things that's Bragg's fault. It's Bragg's fault that that's the crime he was trying the Trump orbit for, which is that weak sauce claim. And then people's other criticism of Bragg also was, look, Weisselberg got this sweetheart deal. But even there, one of my points was, but it wasn't like Weisselberg 
has immunity from all other criminal charges, he could still be convicted on other stuff and go to jail again. It's not like he's relieved of insurance fraud. He pled guilty to certain tax fraud, very narrowly defined tax fraud, and that's it. But Bragg can go and criminally prosecute him on other things. And Bragg's doing that right now, not criminally prosecuting him, but is utilizing the fact that I'm going to prosecute you again now for insurance fraud. The same type of insurance fraud that we see in New York Attorney General Tisha James' civil lawsuit that she's suing civilly, there's criminal implications of that, you being the CFO. So I'm going to criminally prosecute you again. Yes, you're in Rikers right now. How do you like Rikers? And now that Weisselberg's in Rikers, which is like one of the worst places to possibly be in ever and in the country and some of the worst places to be maybe even in the world, you got Bragg basically saying, look, how's, how, how does this feel? You want to cooperate now? And then also impaneling a grand jury in New York that almost certainly is going to criminally indict Donald Trump and soon. And so I just think, and I always say, this is why the wheels of justice move slowly. This is what I've said. I said, look, if Bragg becomes the first to criminally indict and, um, you know, Bragg becomes the first criminal and goes after Weisselberg again, it kind of addresses, I think, a lot of those, uh, some of the concerns, at least Popak, what do you think? Yeah, Ben, I, but I think it is, and I'm not, not here to defend Alvin Bragg. I think that's exhausting to try to do that. But I, I think his strategy is now clear. As you said, the only prosecutor in America to get 17 wins against a Trump entity for criminal conviction. And he didn't need Alvin Bragg to implicate and to um, incriminate Donald Trump in the first trial because that first trial wasn't against Donald Trump. It was against Donald Trump's entities, Payroll and Inc. He wasn't a named defendant in that case. So he didn't need uh, Al he didn't need Alan Weisselberg, the former CFO, to flip for him on that. He needed to tie the organization together to the criminal fraud of tax evasion, which he did, obviously, because the jury came back very quickly with a 17-count conviction. So step one, what, it, what is now apparent to me in Alvin Bragg's process, was to squeeze one quarter of the lemon of Alan Weisselberg to get his conviction of the Trump organization, then send Alan Weisselberg away 12 miles, just 12 miles is between the Manhattan DA's office and Rikers Island where the, prison, where the jail sits which means you can go visit him a lot. It's not in some some faraway place. It's just a 12 miles down the road in upper Manhattan, make a right into the into the river, into the East River off of Queens, and there's Rikers Island. So keep, keeping him close. Now he goes back with for the second squeeze of the lemon to go against Donald Trump in the case of Stormy Daniels. And he uses now for the full squeeze, as you said, softening him up. It's like a boxer, you know, working the solar plexus, working the abdomen with body blows for six or eight rounds and then goes for the head and the knockout in the final rounds. And that looks like what Alvin Bragg's now doing. 78-year-old, 79-year-old uh, Alan Weisselberg, how do you like the three squares a day in Rikers Island in general population or otherwise? How do you like that? You like that? Because that's where you're going to sit. Now let's talk about insurance fraud. And now let me put you on the horns of another dilemma. Two dilemmas, Mr. Weisselberg. One, we're going to go after you for insurance fraud because you defrauded 
um, Zurich Insurance Company in telling them that the insurance on property value that they gave to the company was based on independent appraisals. So when they said, well, how do you know the uh, this $500 million or $1.5 billion for that piece of property that Trump work owns, we'll insure it. You have it backed by an independent appraisal, right? And Al Weisselberg said, yes, which was a lie because there are no independent appraisals. There are no independent appraisals. It's all conjured out of the mind of Donald Trump, who one day just said, oh, I think Trump Tower is worth $2 billion. I think my apartment in Trump Tower is 30,000 square feet when it's really 15,000 square feet. So they lied to Zurich because based on that, Zurich insured these buildings and set premiums on an amount that was fraudulent. The other horn of a dilemma is to protect Ivanka. Now, I don't know directly the relationship between Alan Weisselberg and Ivanka, but Ivanka is in the crosshairs of the insurance fraud itself because she signed applications related to the insurance where they repped and warranted that these independent um, appraisals were done. So if he wants to protect Ivanka, maybe, the daughter, and not spend the rest of his natural-born life and die in a, federal, in a, a state prison then he'll have to cooperate because this isn't five months. This is five to 10 years, and he's already a felon convicted. So the sentencing guidelines in New York go up even higher for what would be his second conviction in, le in less than a year. So Alvin Bragg has him by the you-know-what and is squeezing now at the moment he needs to, which is to have him testify about Stormy Daniels. To remind everybody, what is the link between Weisselberg and Stormy Daniels? Weisselberg, longtime CFO, chief financial officer. Michael Cohen, friend and fellow podcaster, has already testified and is cooperating with the Manhattan DA's office with its new special grand jury that no money moved, no money flowed in the Trump organization without Alan Weisselberg knowing about it and without Donald Trump approving it. He testified that Donald Trump told him to go pay off Stormy Daniels during the 2016 campaign, uh, sort of a catch and kill program, go catch that story and kill it so that it doesn't back up on me in my, in my campaign about the affair that I had with her and pay her $130,000 out of your own funds, Mr. Cohen, Michael Cohen, my lawyer, and we'll reimburse you. That's what happened. Michael Cohen stroked a check for $130,000 out of the account of Michael Cohen, which went ultimately to Stormy Daniels through her lawyer. And then Michael Cohen got reimbursed by the Trump organization with a ledger entry in their books, fraudulent, that said legal retainer or legal services rendered. That wasn't a payment to Michael Cohen for legal services rendered, which Michael testified under oath. That was a reimbursement for the Stormy Daniels payment. That they have in documentary evidence with Alan Weisselberg approving it because he approved all the books and records. And the controller, Mr. McConney, is going to also be, of course, in the crosshairs on that. So you're looking at basically life or death in prison, a death sentence, Mr. Weisselberg, if you don't testify. And we're going to go after Ivanka Trump as well. Won't you cooperate now? That's the two-step process. That's the two-step fruit squeeze that I think Alan, uh, that I think Alvin Bragg is doing. And to paraphrase our our illustrious colleague, Karen Friedman Agnifilo, in a in an interview that she gave to the New York Times in mid-January, Alvin Bragg year one, we can all take pot shots on it. Alvin Bragg, the start of year two of his administration, of his of his tenure, he's starting to get his sea legs. 
and nothing gets your sea legs faster than a 17-count felony conviction win against an entity owned by Donald Trump. Couldn't agree more with you there. And so with David Pecker going, I mean, all these names too, man. I just can't, I got to reflect on them. I mean, got, I think it's Picard, but I don't care. I like David Pecker. You got, you got, you got Pecker and the Stormy Daniels, Donald Trump ordeal. You, you, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. Um, we're going to see more witnesses testifying before this criminal grand jury. I am sure one of the offerings we have here at the Midas Touch Network, as well as Michael Cohen and I will, will have a podcast called Political Beatdown, uh, where, I mean, look, it's not every day you have the witness in the criminal case against uh, a former president as a co-host on a podcast. We got that here in the Midas Touch Network, and Cohen's become a very good friend of mine uh, and just a great all-around guy. So check that out, Political Beatdown, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like Legal AF, you'll probably like Political Beatdown, the new podcast on the Midas Touch Network. Um, what you'll also like, I think, is the uh, Political Beatdown, if you will, and the Criminal Beatdown, if you will, of George Santos, uh, where a fraud will get their just desserts here. And, you know, Santos is just a horrific human being at every level. I mean, lying about every aspect and just the sick, sick lies about mother dying in 9-11 and then his mom survived 9-11. None of it even close to being true because mom was even in the country at the time that his dad survived 9-11, that he had employees who, sur who survived the Pulse nightclub shooting, that all lies that he had. Uh, he, his grandparents were Holocaust survivors, just a total lie that he was Jewish, was a, a total lie that he worked in these jobs and that job and went to this school and oddly specific Baruch volleyball. The, the, the new weird one is, was, what was the Pope like Spider-Man? And that, that the failed, this is perfect. There was a tremendous, tremendously, uh, well-known notorious failed Broadway show called Spider-Man After Dark. I was in New York at the time. It, they, it was like one of the highest um, capital raised for a Broadway show because everybody thought it was going to be successful. $80 million to put on Spider-Man After Dark, which by the way, as an aside, was plagued with the ghosts of theater past. Spider-Men fell and hurt themselves during practice and rehearsals. I mean, this thing was like you know doomed to fail. Overall, people used to, this is sad, people in New York used to go get tickets to watch it to see what mishap would happen on stage because the set was so complicated and the uh, the aerial flying around. This is the Broadway show that George Santos has now claimed that he was a producer of, meaning he raised money. And of course, the real executive producer and producer of the show um, denied any connection at all. I think he just takes your bio, Ben, and just comes up with versions of it and then lies about it. Uh, that's why, you know, I, 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 I love what I do at Midas Touch too much, but I've been so tempted because that's my home district, the third congressional district. I've been so tempted. I was like, look, he literally lies about the things that I actually do. I said, so if I go to that third, I'd be a good foil. If I went just not the, now, <laughs> if I went to the third congressional district and I ran for Congress, but I think that I, I honestly, I mean this sincerely. I think the work we do at the Midas Touch Network, the work that you and I do at Legal AF, 
I, I think is a is a truly a, a larger and more significant platform than what I could actually accomplish if I ran for that third congressional seat. And so I, I don't think I'm going to uh, I don't think I'm going to do that. But I toy with it every now and then. I was like, I would love to I would love to just. Did take- you know? Did you know? And I learned this because of George Santos, who we're going to talk about now, whether he should stay or he should go and who's going to prosecute him first. Did you know you don't actually have to live in the district at the time that you're running? You have to eventually be there. But you know, it's local government is different. A lot of local government, you gotta like live in the district. You don't you could do it from California. That's, well, I, I think there's different states <laughs> have different you know, but um, it's a work in progress. <laughs> it's a work in progress in my mind. So, four more years. Four <laughs> more. <laughs> so we've talked about DeSantis being investigated for campaign finance. Uh, no, Santos. Not you said DeSantis. Uh, all, DeSantis, I'm sure, will be investigated <laughs> for campaign finance fraud one day. So it's all. They're all this. You know, they're all the DeSantis, Santos, Santos. But yes, we've talked about Santos being investigated for uh, campaign finance fraud. And what we talked about on the last episode where the Department of Justice told the FEC, don't file anything yet, we've got this. And one of the main issues they're looking at is Santos uh, claiming that he loaned his campaign $700,000, but it seems to just be an end run around the campaign finance limitations of $5,800 per election cycle uh, for $5,600, $2,800 in the primaries, and then $2,800 in the general elections, um, and basically pooling this money and then claiming he loaned it to himself. But in fact, um, it came from outside sources. It, it seems so obvious. Um, there's also, you know, he's uh, tried to do end run arounds disclosures by making all of his payments $199 in costs so he wouldn't have to provide receipts for things, which just, again, uh, you can't do that. There's so many campaign finance violations. He's going to be prosecuted for that. It's just a matter of when, not if. Then the new one that the FBI and the Eastern District of New York federal prosecutors opened up, it's a story we've talked about on the Midas Touch Network before, but now it's a criminal investigation. Santos had a fake charity. It's not a real charity called like Pets of the World United or some ridiculous name like that. Was not a 501c3, was not registered. He lied and claimed it was registered. That alone is a crime. But what he would use this for was to prey on disabled military veterans. This is who the this is who a Republican is in 2023 right now because they elevated him, they promoted him to committees. Granted, he removed himself from committees, but the Republicans support this stuff. They, they were aware of this stuff when they put him on committees. And so he created a sham charity that preyed on military veterans uh, in the most insidious of and despicable of ways, too. I mean, preying on military veterans at all is disgusting. But what he would do is he would say that if their pets got sick, uh, he would provide life-saving services for their pets. And so with this one individual, for example, Ostaf, who has the text messages, disabled homeless veteran whose pit bull mix, Sapphire was the name of the pit bull mix, um, was developing a tumor and was going to be euthanized if there was not a surgery. And Santos said, let me help you. Let's do a GoFundMe, put up the GoFundMe. And it's the most sympathetic facts, disabled homeless veteran, dog has a tumor. So you raise thousands and thousands of dollars. And then when the disabled homeless vet went to actually get the surgery, Santos is like, 
I, I don't, you know, first Santos would send him to places and the places would be like, we don't know what you're talking about. Like we don't, we, we, who's pets United. We, if you want to pay us, we'll do the surgery, but we're not just going to do the surgery for free. And so Santos would give him the end run, you know, the run around. And then finally, the military veteran said, I realize what you're doing to me. You're, you're defrauding me. And then Santos sent him like these horrible text messages like, you are selfish. How dare you? Why are you being so needy? Pets, pets of the world united or whatever the stupid charity, fake charity is called. You know, we care about these issues. Our reputation is on the line. Anyway. There's wire fraud, mail fraud, a ton of fraud there that the FBI is investigating, and uh, Santos will be prosecuted undoubtedly for that as well. Um, there's no indictment yet, but like, how low can you? How low can you go? Preying on disabled military vets by lying to them about getting life-saving care for their dogs. By the way, Sapphire died and ended up getting euthanized because didn't get the surgery. Um, just like hor horrific, just like a horrific human being at every level. And the MAGA Republicans are like, Santos is great. We, lo we love this guy. He's, he's our guy, Santos. It's, it's so strange. Let's talk about how to remove him because I'm, I'm not buying that he made the decision on his own not to, to step down from the committees. I'm pretty sure somebody in McCarthy's office sat him down in a private dungeon somewhere and told him, you're embarrassing the speaker, you need to kind of step down because the speaker's position is that we're going to we're gonna do a full ethics investigation and see where those facts lie. And so that's not a great sign that all of that original um, wagon circling that you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, where Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene were treating him as like their little buddy, their little brother, their little plus one for every vote, is now sort of, you're off your committees. I don't think that was his own thought process. This is not by way of defense. It's just my comment. And I don't feel sorry for him, but he's got a mental disorder. I don't know what it is, but there's no way that a, a, a rational human being that's not somehow pathological or psychotic or whatever would, would create this many lies that are so easily refuted and so easily corroborated that they are lies in one lifetime, in one two-year period of time. Um, without having some sort of mental disorder. I don't know what it is. I'm not qualified to give that that advice on this podcast, but something is seriously wrong with George Santos. How do you remove somebody? We've talked about who's going to catch up faster, the, the House and have so many facts in front of them that they can't deny it any longer, or the criminal prosecutors. Brazil restarting their pr criminal prosecution, five to 10-year sentence for the uh, identity theft and check bad check writing that he did in Brazil. Younger, West Westchester District Attorney, because it happened in her district, Letitia James. She doesn't like when candidates lie and grift to people to raise funds and uh, and get elected as a result. Eastern District, as you said, Department of Justice telling the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, uh, Commission, we got this. Step aside. We're looking at it from a criminal perspective. But we go to the Constitution for a moment. We like, you and I like going to the Constitution, referring to it, taking our little pocket, our little pocket uh, versions of it. Article 1, Section 5 says that each house may determine its own rules. We just did all the whole rules package thing when McCarthy was finally out on the 15th round, made the speaker. And to continue the phrase in Article 1, Section 5, punish its members for disorderly behavior, not defined and remove them 
on a two-thirds vote to exp it's called actually expel uh, but it's effectively removing them on a two-thirds vote let's do the math two-thirds vote in the house is 291 votes to expel. Well, we know all the Republicans, oh, sorry, all the Democrats will vote for that. So that's two, 20 and a quarter. And then you've got, you got to figure out how to get 70 non-MAGA Republicans, and I think they still exist, to support a resolution to remove under Article 1, Section 5. It is a completely self-policing entity, the House and the Senate, Congress. We can't do anything about it. No taxpayer can file a lawsuit. No judicial watch can file a lawsuit. Nobody can move. There's no impeachment proceeding. It is this one thing, this one circuit breaker that the founding fathers put in. It's been used. I've seen the numbers sort of all over the place in my research. I'll take it from the Senate historian. There's been 19 examples since the founding of our country where an ex a removal or an expulsion has happened. Every almost every one of them was during the Civil War, when Civil War people, kind of like what we talked about about um, not having the ability to run for office or being, um, forget the phrase, at the moment, but uh, not being qualified, disqualified to run for office because of previously supporting uh, insurrection against the against the the country. But there have been some examples, including sort of recent examples of people being removed by that kind of vote. James Traficante, the late now but disgraced member from Ohio who got convicted of false tax returns, illegal contributions, obstruction, and racketeering. Okay, but you could, you could let me just explain this. Even with all those convictions, except I think if you're in jail, maybe, you still got to be expelled from the House or you're still a sitting member. It doesn't say if you're audit, there's no auto eject button in the Constitution that says if you're convicted of a crime, even if you're sitting in the penitentiary, that you're no longer a House member. So the House and the Senate have to get around to exercising and invoking their rights and this procedure under Article 1, Section 5. My prediction is that there's just going to be so much overwhelming evidence as there has been and so many prosecutions that either George Santos is going to resign because they're going to twist his arm to resign, which is usually what happens. Usually what happens when there is a move afoot to do an Article 1, Section 5 removal or expulsion. Usually that member gets the hint and the writing on the wall, and to save some face, they resign. When they don't, they go through the process. I think he gets ultimately removed or resigned. Won't stop the prosecutions, shouldn't stop the prosecutions. But I think that is how the, I think the end of George Santos or whatever his name is in the House of Representatives ends with a, a whimper, not a bang with him resigning or the vote to expel. They'll certainly get all the Democrats. They just got to pick up 70 or so Republicans. Republicans deserve absolutely no credit for anything they've done with Santos. They are in bed with Santos. They are the party of George Santos. And we need to make sure that voters know that each and every day. If Santos was in the Democratic Party, he would have one. He wouldn't have even made it in, into a Democratic uh, to be our nominee. And the moment we got wind of any of this, he'd be out in a in a second, in a second. Um, it is utterly despicable to have. A, but this is who he is. I mean, it's, it's just another, you know. 
is 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 it really you know I, I I said DeSantis, but is it really much more different you know than all of these frauds? I mean, you got DeSantis talking about I'm giving tax breaks for stoves and gas stoves. These people are idiots. It's just it's just it's just idiocracy. It's stupidity. There are so many real important issues that we need to focus on as a country. We need to be focused on jobs. We need to be focused on healthcare. We need to be focused on education. We need to make sure that we are building our infrastructure. We need to bring in. Uh, we need to bring manufacturing jobs here to the country. We need to be protecting a woman's right to control her body. We need to be taking care of our veterans. We need to be focused on real issues and the stupid idiocracy of George Santos and all this dumb crap I see from Republicans every every day. And they're just constant violations of law. They're thumbing their nose in the Constitution, calling for the Constitution to be terminated. Donald Trump reposting statements, calling for a violent civil war. And then all these other Republicans saying he's the leader of the party. It, enough is enough. And I'm glad that we're calling it out here on the Midas Touch Network and specifically calling it out here on Legal AF Popak. Great spending this time chatting with you on this weekend. Want to thank all of our listeners and viewers for watching. Check out Killing County. If you haven't watched it on Hulu, let me know what you think. And please do me a favor after you watch it. Please post about it on social media. Talk about it on social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Um, let me know what you think about it. Use the hashtag Killing County. Spread the word about Killing County. It's really, really, really a vital, vital docuseries that I think is important on so many levels. And I'm so proud to be a part of it. Make sure you subscribe to Legal AF. Uh, wherever you get to your uh, audio in addition to video. Subscribe here on the YouTube channel. If you listen on audio, check out our YouTube channel. If you watch on YouTube, please search for the audio and check it out wherever you get audio. Search Legal AF um, and make sure you leave a five-star review there. You can check out store.midastouch.com as well, S-T-O-R-E dot for the best pro-democracy merch. People love the Legal AF merch. Check it out. Get your Legal AF merch store.midastouch.com. You could also check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. Support independent media. One of the ways you can do that is by, by becoming a member of our Patreon site. Um, we do things like uh, exclusive Zoom chats that I do with my younger brothers. You can ask us any question. There's a lot of other exclusive content there. Patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Thank you all so much for watching. Let me know what you think about Killing County, Popak, my favorite part of the weekend is talking the law with you on Legal AF. Really, really always an honor and a pleasure. Thank you, everybody. And shout out to the Midas Mighty.